0: Chapter 15. We're going to pick up where Pastor David Palmazzato left off last week. And uh, John 15 is uh, really, uh, for some people, it's their favorite chapter. It's about bearing fruit. And I actually titled this message Fruit, Friends, and Foes. Now, what do they all have in common? Well, I know they start with an F. But you're going to see all three of those in today's teaching from Jesus in his word. Now, last week we learned about as branches we're called to bear fruit, but the gardener, he will lift us up, he will prune us, make sure that we stay connected to the, to, the, to the branch, or excuse me, to the vine, so that we can bear fruit for him. And as Jesus is traveling down the road from that upper room where he spent time with his disciples to where he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be arrested He's about to leave his disciples, and he's giving them preparation for when he's gone. He's going to talk to them about what's so important. He's going to give them a command, but he's also going to tell them a warning about what's to come in their future, and really, it's for us as well. So here we are. uh, You can start in verse 12, John 15, verse 12. My command is this. So we just stop right there. Is this an option? Nope suggestion no it's a command a command from jesus anytime you see a command from jesus we need to sit up take notice this is important my command is this love each other as i have loved you see jesus provided an example for us and then he goes on and says greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends So he's going to tell us what type of love are we to love other people and that's a sacrificial love in the original Greek, it's the word agape. It's a sacrificial, unconditional love. And he's saying, this is the type of love I command you for other people. Not just a, hey, I love you. It's, it's going to cost us something. And if they don't love you back, that's okay because it's unconditional love. And this is what he's trying to, to share with his disciples. It's not a, a, comm- a love like a feeling type of love or an emotional type of thing. And I was thinking about it related to our marriages. This is what he's called for us as married couples or for those of you with kids or really all of us are, are responsible for this type of love. There should be a commitment to this love. Now, I know many guys who will like say, you know, I would die for my wife you will take a bullet for them. You know, it was like there's that strong commitment, like I will lay down my life for my wife. However, what if you're watching a ball game, you're on the sofa, and your wife's carrying in a lot of groceries from the car? <laughs> will you get up? Will you sacrifice to get up and help them bring in all the groceries? I oh, I miss a big play. See, sacrifice in love isn't just like I'm willing just to only die for them. It's a lot of little things throughout the day for the people that we love, that we're in relationship, that we're close with. Jesus demonstrates that for us. And it wasn't just that he went to the cross. He was constantly showing that type of love for people. Now, in the original language, in Greek, there's uh, different types of love. There's agape love that we just talked about. There's a phileo love, a brotherly love. That's where you get Philadelphia from. There's a storge love, which is like a bond that you have of a family, that type of family love. And there's eros, where we get our word erotic from. It's like a romantic love. And I was thinking, uh, I, I love this story. My uh, father-in-law is in heaven now, but he was a pastor for many, many years, up until about 83 and then his eyesight he couldn't read very well anymore, but he he was uh, uh, my wife Barb's dad, and uh, he told this story once I'll never forget it because he said he was teaching the youth of their church about the types of love from the Greek, and so he's going through these words and and so forth and uh, one time a a parent of one of the teenagers came and said, "What did you teach our kids?" And he said well they they our daughter came and says, you taught him four ways to make love. <laughs> well, not exactly. <laughs> make and to love are two different words, okay? But uh, here's the first point for us today is followers of Jesus should be known for our visible love for others. Visible love. That's the key word there. That's what, that, that's what Jesus is talking about when we layered life down. Do you visibly love other people? And I have some scriptures to, to, uh, to help us to see that. John 13, 35. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Who are we proving it to? The world. The world has to see that we love and that will show that we are disciples of Jesus. Then in 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. That's easy, isn't it? But let us show the truth by our actions. Many people say, I love you. But do they demonstrate it? That's the first thing for us as we see this command of Jesus. This is a type of love, that agape love that he's asking us to do. Do you see that as a picture of the church at large in America today? When non-believers think of Christians today, do you think the first thing they think of us is, boy, they're, they're so loving? Now, that's an indictment on us, isn't it? This is why Jesus has commanded us to love one another sacrificially like him. And sometimes we can act so divisive and so mean to each other that sometimes we look just like the world. And we don't even prove to the world that we're disciples, and so it's really a, a first challenge that you see in this message on us visibly loving each other. In fact, look at this next point. We all need friends in our lives who are experiencing our sacrificial love. Do you have people in your life that are experiencing your sacrificial love? It could be neighbors. It could be co-workers. It could be people here in the church that you developed a relationship with. Yes, it should be your family, but beyond our family, do you have people that are experiencing your sacrificial love? I, and I was thinking, for us, our community group is one area that we continue to just love being with these people, and Friday night, we had, a, we had two different things going on. We had a birthday party for our nine-year-old grandson, so we went to that, we're driving home, it's 8.30 from the birthday party, we're thinking, our community group was doing a kickoff dinner tonight. And we missed it because of the birthday party, which we wanted to be at the birthday party. But Barbara and I said, let's just go and surprise them. We know. If the cars are still there in the driveway, we know. And they live kind of close to where we live. So we pulled in there, opened the door. They are like startled, like, who's coming in the door? And it was just so good to be there because when we got there, they are just ready to pray. And two members of our team are going through some very difficult things. And we're able to put a chair in the middle and pray over them. For the different things they were going through. And I was thinking, that's what we're called to do. We need people in our lives that we can love each other. And they do the same thing for us. One member of our, one couple in our group had, had one of their children die not too long ago. We were all at their house bringing food, helping them. But do you have people like that in your life? Barbara and I signed up for that group two years ago. We knew the leader and his wife, kind of. And one other couple, even less some out. The others, we didn't know. And I go to that group. I'm not Pastor Dave. I'm just Dave. Because I need a group just like you do. We need people in our lives that we are loving. They're loving us. That we serve each other. This is so important. Jesus had this with his disciples. He didn't show the same type of love to everyone. He couldn't. We can't love everyone the same. But we need friends in our lives that we can love. Now, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Look at that. It's conditional. See that if? Would you say that word with me? If. You are my friends. Jesus is calling us friends, but he's put a conditioner on there. If. You do what I command. What has he commanded us? To love others. He just told us, he commanded us in verse 12, this is to love others as I've loved you. And he says, if you do this, you're my friends. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. So he's calling us to a higher level here by him building a relationship with us, he's calling us his friends. See, Jesus' disciples were given insight, understanding, more than a servant might. And I, I was really thinking of this, and you know, trying to come up with an analogy that could help us think through this thing. And I think this is one you can all relate to. Let's say you and a friend went out for lunch, and you went out for lunch, you sat at the table, Somebody at the restaurant, a servant, a a male or female, you know, a waiter, waitress, they came over, they took your order, they brought you your drink, they brought you your food, they served you. But at the end of the meal, your friend says, They grabbed the check and they said, I want to pay for the check. I want to do this for you. Okay? Two people served you, one out of relationship, your friend. Bought your meal, they served you by paying for your meal. One served you because it was their duty, it was their job. Am I right? Now you think about this. Some of you, in your relationship with God, you see it more as a duty. You say, Oh, well, I have to do this. Well, I know the pastor's been asking me, Oh, well, yeah, I gotta get in a group, we gotta serve. Oh, there's a need over in the kids' ministry. Oh, they're talking about giving. You know, ties and offerings. Oh, well, I got to do—that's duty. But Jesus is saying, "I want a relationship with you, where you, you serve, but it's not because you're serving because you have to. It's a, I want to. It's out of a relationship, just like you would with a friend. So as Jesus calls his friends, it's like he's not saying you no longer serve. You serve now out of a relationship. And how do we have a relationship with someone? Two things are required: time. Time with them and communication. If you don't have those two, you don't have a relationship. How do we have a relationship with God? By spending time with God and communicating. Prayer, being in the word, worshiping. That's what God's calling us to As we do that, we then serve like a friend, not out of duty. So here's our next point. Friends serve each other from a love relationship, not out of obligation. Don't serve the Lord because you have to. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's someone we love who loves us first. Such an important aspect for us to get down deep. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Now, verse 16. You did not choose me. But I chose you. Let's just stop there. Well, I thought I chose Jesus. I know, April 3rd, 1981 is when I became a born-again Christian. I chose God. No. What does he say there? You did not choose me, but I chose you. And you might be thinking, well, no, no, I really did accept him. I really chose him. Think of it this way. You're out in the ocean. You're flailing around, potentially drowning. And a boat comes. And there's a person on the boat, and they have a, a life-saving ring tied to a rope, and they throw it out to you. You grab hold of it, and they pull you in. Wouldn't it be silly for that person to say, oh, I chose to save myself? No. They responded to somebody else making the first move. Jesus sold, he made the first move. He threw that life ring out for us, and he pulled us in. Yes, we had to choose, but he chose us first. He chose to save us. We respond to that. And then look what it says in verse 16. He not only chose us, but then he appointed us. He called us for a purpose. We're not just saved so we can now live our life independent of him, do our own thing. No, he's got a role for us. Look at it. He chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So here we go back to this fruit thing again. Fruit that bear fruit. Last week we talked about that. And so you will, and whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So he, he's reinforcing this command. We know it's pretty important that we love each other. This is a part of bearing fruit. And I was thinking about bearing fruit. Now last week, if you were here, Pastor David Palmisano, he had a, a grape vine up here and so forth. Well, I, I don't have a great plant for you. But what I do have is what I grow in my yard. And here's a photo. I grow bananas. And I actually have a lot of bananas. Um, some of you might think I've gone bananas, but uh, I love bananas. And uh, here's a plant that's uh, loaded with them right now. And in fact, I, uh, I just cut some off yesterday for this illustration. And so here's the fruit, the bananas, now, by the way, did you hear about the man that ate a, a banana whole? Yeah, he didn't peel very well. Oh. You knew there was one coming, didn't you? So anyway, I was thinking about this fruit, thinking about this story that Jesus is talking about fruit, fruit that remains. One thing about fruit is fruit comes by staying connected to the plant, right? It's, it, it, that's, the fruit has to stay connected, But next, this is a big one. Fruit is not for the plant. The fruit is always for another purpose, for someone else. God designed plants to produce fruit for us. And so you think about it. In the Bible, in the New Testament, fruit is mentioned 66 times. Do you know that all but only a couple of them relate to our character for other people? Most of the time we think bearing fruit is related to a saved person Uh, or an unsaved person becoming saved. A couple of those times it does, but most of the time it's about our character towards other people. So the fruit is not for the plant, it's for others. Next is the fruit has to sacrifice itself. Remember we talked about our love being like fruit. It's a sacrifice. But here's the fourth one, is that this fruit will have all kinds of opposition I know from growing bananas for many years if I allow the bananas to stay on the plant and they and they go all the way to fully ripe on the plant I've got possums, raccoons, squirrels, birds and they all will eat away at my bananas. You'll see them like half half a banana there. They're all like getting in their plant and eating them up. So what do I do? I pick these things Before they're ripe, while they're green, I have them sit in a cardboard box in my garage for about a week, and they ripen very nicely and they taste very sweet. You have to trust the gardener. Remember that from last week? So I care for it, but there is going to be opposition. And Jesus is going to go to that here in a moment with this analogy about the fruit in our lives that he wants us to love others, but yet there will be opposition. And like we talked about even last week, Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you look at that list up there, most Bible scholars believe it's really one fruit, one fruit of the spirit, it's love. And all those other descriptions are an expression of love towards other people. Gentleness is a quality for you to have with other people. It's not for yourself. So God wants us to bear fruit, fruit that will remain for other people. And he's saying, what is that fruit? You always read things in the context of Scripture. The fruit is loving other people. Now, he's going to shift it. Let's go on to verse 18. If the world hates you. Well, stop. Well, well Jesus Why would the world hate us if we're loving other people? Isn't that a good question? You would think the world would love us if we're really loving other people. We're laying our life down for other people. But look what Jesus is going to say. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, that's that whole other system. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the world system. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you. We just talked about that. I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In my studies, I was like, why? Why does the world hate us as Christians? Why is it Christians that are persecuted around the world? You don't hear about other religions persecuted like Christians. Why, when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, does persecution come? And I was like, you would think that if we're more loving, people would say, oh, man, I love Christians. Christians are the best. I love to be around them. It's not always the case, is it? And I think the answer is because, and Jesus is going to explain it here a little bit more, is that people seem fine with God, but not with Jesus. Because Jesus represents conviction of sin because of what the gospel message stands for. The world hates us because their sin is exposed. See, we represent the light, and light dispels darkness. It exposes things. If you've ever broken a a glass on, let's say, a tile floor, the best way to find the glass is turn all the lights off, take a flashlight, and shine it at the level of the floor, and all the glass will show up much easier. The light will expose pieces, especially in the darkness. Look at John 3, verse 19. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. That's Jesus, the gospel. But people love darkness instead of light because why? Their deeds were evil. And I was I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking back to one week uh, a number of years ago. I I, I was like I, I couldn't get it out of my mind because it was like one of the hardest and best weeks of my life doing ministry. I'll tell you the best one first. Uh, we have an awesome prison ministry here. I know I've saw some of them here in this service. We, we go, a uh, team from our church goes to the Central Florida Reception Center there off of 528, Tuesdays, Saturdays. Maybe you want to join them, be a part of the prison ministry. It's an incredible ministry. But I got an opportunity to go and teach to the uh, prisoners. They would have about 200 inmates come at their choosing to be a part of a service. And I tell you, when I was preaching, they're excited. They're like throwing up amen, sometimes standing up, cheering. I mean, like, oh, wow, I don't I'm going to get this back home. <laughs> hint, hint, hint. But it was exciting. At the end of the service, every one of those inmates, as they're leaving to go back to their cells, they give you with a firm handshake. They look you in the eye. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it so much. This is such a help to us. It's an, it's an awesome experience. If you ever thought prison ministry would be like, oh, I wouldn't want to be. No, the, you know, they. The, because they're forsaken by most people. Now, let me tell you about the hardest one. It was like two days later. I was at a local high school. I won't tell you which high school, so I won't get any hate emails. <laughs> but I was, at, I was invited to be a speaker at a world religion thing. So every day they had different representatives of religions come in. So I came in representing Christianity, explained what Christianity was, what it wasn't. And then I shared my testimony how I came out of a life of drugs and alcoholism and an immoral life and how I'd given my life to Jesus and how my life had changed. Well, then they had a Q&A. Ooh, boy, those questions, they were tough. There was a lot of, I'll just say it, hatred in there. They were equating me to being like one of the crusaders. and I mean, it was like nasty stuff. Now, that group wasn't open. Or at least they, they, as they were listening, they weren't quite ready yet. Those inmates, they were very open. They were very ready. And I was just thinking about that. Why would those high school students, and I know there was probably Christians in there and, and so forth, but some of them were not, and they were very vocal. Why would they be that way? Because by what I was sharing was saying they were wrong in their lifestyles. It was a light shining into darkness, You know what the best thing to do is is to get angry at the light, get rid of the light, so you can stay in the darkness. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. When we really do what God has called us to do is love the world. That means by sharing the gospel, loving people. It's a bright light. And some people are not going to like it. This is what's happening here with this. Uh, what Jesus is telling. He's preparing his disciples for it because maybe they haven't experienced it yet. Let's go on, verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, the name of Jesus. It's not just God. It's the name of Jesus is what people get all stirred up about, isn't it? For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 22 is the reason why people will hate us. Because we expose sin. We make people feel guilty. When we preach truth... People don't like truth. But let me tell you something. For the gospel to be good news, for people to get saved, for them to see that they have a need for a savior, they have to see they have a need to get saved from something. They, the world has to see the weight of sin. They have to see what sin is. And people don't want to hear that. But people have to hear that before they're ready to give their life to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they try to appease their conscience by just throwing out everything that's all wrong, that's all wrong. They have to see what sin is. So we don't want to be offensive, but the gospel message will be offensive to people who are not saved. But it's the first step in somebody coming to Christ. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many people want to live a godly life? A few of you. Some of you don't. <laughs> Not after reading that verse, right? <laughs> it goes along with it. You want to live a godly life? There's going to be some opposition. I'm thankful that we live in the United States of America, that for the most part, we have little opposition, to course, the way it is in many parts of the world. You know, the stories that go on around the world, the opposition that Christians face, it's It's unbelievable verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that I, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus quotes there from Psalm 69 that they hated me without reason. Just a a prophetic thing about the message of Jesus. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, that's another word for the Holy Spirit. And you don't want to miss next week. Pastor Brian's going to be here teaching about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what's going to help us when we face opposition. We don't do it alone. God is our defender. We need it. But it says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. See, our role is to testify about Jesus, not about Calvary Chapel. You can invite people to Calvary Chapel, but it's always about Jesus. It's not about a church. It's not about a religion. It's not about doing certain things. We testify about Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit is always to point people towards Jesus. Now, let's go on, verse chapter 16. We're just going to do four verses and then we stop because it's really still tying this opposition part in. Verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. See, that's why Jesus told all this stuff. He didn't want his disciples to fall away with opposition. They will put you out of the synagogue. That was a big deal in their days because that would likely mean that they couldn't do business with people. They would really be shunned from their society. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. You know, I was thinking about this. Twenty-one years ago today, those terrorists flying those planes into those buildings, killing Americans. You know what they thought? They thought they were doing a service to their God. You can go online. You can read some of the writings of these terrorists left before they They left. The the propaganda that they had with the belief, all full of religious type of sounding stuff. They thought they were doing this for their God. It's it's just what Jesus told. Most religious persecution that takes place around the world today is because people think they're doing it for the sake of their God. Jesus warns us. And why is he warning us this? So we don't fall away. Sometimes, if, if your message of the gospel is, Come to Jesus, and you're going to have a wonderful life. Everything's going to go great. What happens when things don't go great? Oh, this Christianity thing doesn't work. I fall away. No, we have to understand there is going to be opposition. Jesus is trying to warn us, and that's why he says, I want you to know this so you don't fall away. Verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. See, they're part of the world. They don't know God. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I think what Jesus is really saying there, if I told you from the beginning, you might not want to follow me. <laughs> I was with you. I was going to build you up and encourage you and so forth. And I know this is a tough message, talking about opposition. Now, I want to show you on 1 Peter Um, chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, just kind of goes along with what we've just been reading about. It says, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But here's the little caveat, verse 15, because not all suffering is because of our witness for Jesus, right? If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. It's interesting that a meddler is put in that same category. So in other words, if you suffer, it better be for the right reason. If you're suffering because you're being a jerk, uh, you don't get any points for that, okay? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Amen? Amen. I don't know what the future holds for us. I have a feeling, though, as time goes, we may suffer more and more persecution. I hope not. I'm not asking for it. But Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. I know this as a pastor here. The greater the influence, the bigger the target you are. So here's the next point. Our goal is not to be popular, but faithful. When you get to heaven... God's not going to say, oh, man, I, you, you had the most followers. You had the most likes. You were so popular. Come on in. He's going to say, say, I hope, he's going to say to all of us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're called to be is faithful. Many in this world today are seeking popularity The problem when you seek popularity is then you begin to compromise many times because you don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be offensive. I'll let the word of God be offensive. if It needs to be. And I believe that I can fulfill what Jesus is asking, that I can love people at the same time of being truthful. And if people don't like the truth, they have a problem with the one who wrote it, not with me. Because I just want to be faithful to what he's called me to do. And that's to to preach the gospel. And the same thing for you. Matthew 11, 18 and 19 says, For John, talking about John the baptizer, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. I love that last part. Look at that up there again on the screen, The last part. But wisdom is proved right by your actions. People might say all kinds of stuff about you if you're a Christ follower. But in the end, I believe truth will prevail. Wisdom is proved right by its actions. Don't jump on the bandwagon and don't jump to conclusions and so forth when you hear this or that. Wisdom will be proved right by his actions, So it's not the absence of opposition that means we're doing great. It actually, sometimes it's the opposition is because we are doing the Lord's work. And again, if it's done in the right way. Now, before we close here, I just want to take you through a little a practical thing for all of us. Because likely none of you are facing the type of persecution that they might be like, let's say, in Afghanistan today or in Iran. But what kind of persecution do we face? Usually, from unbelievers, it's verbal, or it might be an email that was sent to you, a text message, a hateful this or that. How do we respond to those type of things? And I have five things I want us to. And if you don't take any other notes, this list I've used in my own personal life and it's helped me so many times. Very, very practical. If you're, if this, I, I encourage you. Maybe take a photo of it when they're all up there because this is going to help you. Number one, dealing with foes. First of all, consider the source. What do I mean by that? Don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. Sometimes people just have hurts. Maybe, maybe this or that. Maybe they've gone through a really tough time. But consider the source when you have opposition. Next, listen and learn for grains of truth. Sometimes we might have done something a little bit wrong. But the person, how they're responding to it is so absurd, so wrong, that we dismiss it all, we throw it all out. But here's what I've learned. When somebody criticizes, even if it's a destructive criticism, if we listen, we might find something we can turn a constructive criticism into an instructive criticism. And we can actually learn from it. I've learned this many times in my life. People be in my face, they do it all wrong, and I'm like, man, I don't want to hear anything you are say, but you know, maybe there is something that I can learn from it. Number three, don't attack back. This gets at our sinful nature, right? When you're attacked, what's the first thing you want to do? Attack back, at least for some of you. Others of you just want to retreat and run away, okay? But don't attack back. Take your time Pray, don't, don't attack back. We're, we're called to love. Remember, we just talked about loving. Number, th- number four, pray and take time to respond. Now, this is a big challenge because what do we, if we get a, uh, let's say it's a nasty text message, what do we want to do? We want to type right back. I can tell you so many times I've gotten a bad email from someone and I'm ready to type something back and I just feel my emotions coming. And then I have to be like, delete. I need to give this some time. Right now I'm in the flesh. I need to be in the spirit to respond. So pray. Take time to respond. Do you know you can even thank a person for their opinion? And number five, stay confident in Christ. Don't draw your attention your confidence from the people around you. Draw it from Christ. We already read that Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? And he had all kinds of opposition. We're not perfect. Do we expect that we're going to be better than Jesus? He had opposition, so will we. And so keep our confidence in Christ, and I believe that will help you. Now, if you haven't been challenged yet, if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, or the Holy Spirit hasn't through me, This last verse I'm going to show you, I think, is the one that I'm most challenged by. Related to this, Jesus said this. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was a common saying that they must have had before Jesus. Okay? Love your enemy, hate your neighbor. Or your enemy, excuse me. (laughs) Hey, it's been a long day so far. But... I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's much harder, isn't it? We can do that first part. We can love our, you know, our neighbors. We can hate our enemies. But Jesus called us to a, a higher form of love. He's called us to pray for those who hate us, to bless those who persecute us, to actually love them. That's hard. I'll go beyond hard. I think it's impossible. So how can we do it? The advocate. God's in us, right? The Holy Spirit's in us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So I have three summary points before we pray. Number one, just from this whole message. Number one, the fruit of our lives is to love others like Jesus. We've seen that over and over. Remember, he commanded us. The fruit fruit is to love others like Jesus. Number two, as a friend of Jesus, I know and serve him. We serve out of relationship. He calls us his friend if we do what he says. And number three, foes will come, but God is our defender. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this message that you put in the word for each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, to love others. Help us to be in that friendship relationship with you. And help us to see that you are our defender. You will take care of the persecution that we face for standing on the side of truth.